I don't know if you know this, but apparently a few years after Abraham Lincoln died, there was a plot to steal his body and to hold it for ransom. And um, they weren't successful. Um, however, the, you can imagine the shock and horror of the entire nation as they thought their beloved president's body was almost stolen. So they immediately took his body and buried it under like a ton of concrete so nobody could ever get to his body. <laughs> well, the shock and horror that this nation felt at the possibility of losing the body of their president was nothing compared to the shock and horror that Jesus' followers felt when they found his empty tomb. Now, we know what the empty tomb means, don't we? It means joy, it means resurrection life, it means Jesus rose again, but they didn't think that. We have to understand nobody expected Jesus to rise from the dead. And so, what we see as we um, now come back a week later is that by this point, and we're gonna look at the scripture in a few minutes, by this point, uh, a week after Jesus' resurrection, um, the disciples, most of them did believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, all except Thomas, who was filled with doubt. Now, the truth is doubt is actually normal for most people. Perhaps you've never experienced it, then you are truly blessed. Most of us experienced doubt at some point because none of us can touch God None of us can see him with our eyes, and so it is entirely based on faith, isn't it? And the important thing we have to understand, though, is that doubt is not a lack of faith, because you know what? You have to believe something before you can doubt it, don't you? And so we don't have to feel shame, we don't have to feel fear, and most importantly, doubt does not have to devastate our faith. It can actually be a doorway to deeper faith. And that's what we're gonna see as we look at our scripture this week. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them to John 20, or if your apps, open them to John 20, and we're starting in verse 24. So let's just recap for a minute. As we looked at last week in our celebration of Easter in this beautiful sermon that we got from Paul, we saw that Jesus had appeared to the women and to his already appeared to his disciples as they were gathered together. It terrified behind locked doors. They were terrified of the religious leaders, what was gonna to happen to them. And so Jesus had come right through those locked doors and he'd said to them, peace be with you. And of course, that's what they most needed. Can you imagine their shock? seeing Jesus, but this shock quickly turned to joy as they realized this, this was Jesus raised to life. They'd seen him die, and here he was, alive and well, standing right there in this room in front of them, and so they were so excited. But one, one disciple was not there, one of the 12, and that's where we pick up in our verses this week. Thomas, also known as Dim Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so this book, John, is written by, by John, the one Jesus loved, he calls himself, I love how he calls himself that, as if he didn't love all the others. <laughs> um, uh, but wouldn't we like to say that? And it's true, isn't it, the one Jesus loved? Anyway, that, I, I, go to, I go aside. But um, <clears throat> so the, this is written by John, and he writes this because he was there. And so he tells us that they told him, they said to him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas is skeptical. Um, despite knowing that all of these disciples, he spent three years with them, and despite all of them telling him that they'd seen him, he won't believe. He doubts, and that's why he's earned himself the nickname Doubting Thomas. I think this is a bit of a bad rap for Thomas, to be honest. Um, 
Because we have to think about what Thomas was feeling. Think about his mindset. Thomas was in despair. Three years ago, he had met Jesus and believed he was the long-awaited Messiah, the one he'd longed for, and he was filled with joy, and um, he'd left everything to follow him, his family, his job, and so for three years, he'd seen Jesus, he'd heard heard him give this most amazing teaching, he'd seen him heal people, he'd even seen him raise people from the dead, and, and he, had he loved Jesus, he trusted him, and he'd put all of his hope in Jesus. And then, one week ago, he'd watched him die, and all of his hopes and dreams had died with him. And the death of Jesus had been truly terrible. So terrible for Thomas to know what had happened to his beloved Jesus. It was so traumatic, and he knew that he was dead when they took him off the cross. He knew that his body was so disfigured, barely recognizable. And he knew that there was no way anybody could get near the body. They'd put a huge stone, several tons stone in front of that um, tomb. And there was guards in front of it, day and night to prevent, centurion guards. Um, So nobody could get near the body. He knew Jesus had died. And now, Thomas hears from the others that he's alive. It just sounds so far-fetched, so impossible. And you know what? So impossible, he will not allow his heart to hope again. Have you ever felt that way? Been so disappointed with God? It's really hard to let your heart hope again. And so Thomas says, unless... I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He wants physical evidence. He wants to see irrefutable proof before he will open his heart to this. To be honest, this is not an unreasonable request. Excuse me, thank you for the water. (laughs) I don't know why I'm getting a frog in my throat. This is not an unreasonable request. You know, Thomas wasn't expressing atheistic belief here. He simply wants proof that he's not being misled. He, doesn't, he just wants proof that his friends aren't just getting carried away with wishful thinking, you know? And so the, re- the reality is that um, there is nothing wrong with wanting a per- your, your faith to be based on reality. We want our faith to be based on reality. We don't need to check our brains at the door when we become believers, do we? Oswald Chambers, the author of the book, My Utmost for His Highest, said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It's actually a sign that he is thinking. And so we also need to understand why why John included this, this incident in his gospel. None of the others included it. He wanted us to believe, and he wanted us to know that the disciples were not some gullible country boys who were easily predisposed to believe in the resurrection. On the contrary, they didn't expect the resurrection, and they needed very strong, convincing proof that he was actually alive. And Jesus was willing to give it to them. And so we pick up now with all of the disciples again a week later. Um, Verse 28. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
And this time, he'd come to see Thomas. <laughs> and he's come to give Thomas what he needs. Even though Jesus hadn't been there when Thomas said he, what he needed to believe, that he wanted to see his hands and his wounds, he knows because he's God and he loves Thomas. He wants to give him what he needs to believe. And so he says to him, he says to Thomas, come, put your hands here, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He wants, he wants Thomas to move now, to choose, to move forward and choose belief over doubt. And when Thomas saw the evidence, his doubt did give way to full-blown faith. See what he says. He says to him, my Lord and my God. He actually goes further than the other disciples did. Not, nobody else called Jesus this. And Jesus accepts it because he is God. And so then he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus is talking about all those down through the ages who have now believed in Jesus because of, the, of what we've read in Scripture, the eyewitness accounts in the Gospels, the, the, the writings of Paul. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have seen, not with our eyes, physical eyes, but with our eyes of faith, and we have believed. And Jesus says we are blessed. So, there's a lot in these verses for us to look at. So let's, first of all, I think the very first thing we can see in here that I want to unpack for us this morning is that doubt can be a doorway to deeper faith. I think this is really important for us to understand. Have you, I don't know if you've ever gone through a season of doubt. I have. Um, well, I first became a believer in my 20s, my late 20s actually, and um, I had known what it was to have a life without God in it. So when I became a believer, I was overjoyed to know him, to know I was loved by him, and I didn't really doubt initially. But that all changed for me after I became a teaching leader for Bible Study Fellowship. It was very shocking to me. And it was devastating. I began to experience episodes of doubt. Um, as I was preparing a lecture to teach about God, I would begin to think, is this just too good to be true? Or as I was praying and praying for something for my family, um, and God didn't give it to me in the way I wanted, or at all, um, or in my timing, I would begin to think, are you there, God? And these doubts filled me with intense despair, I have to tell you. I remember saying to God, Lord, I, I never thought, I mean, here's the thing, I'm talking to God when I'm doubting God. <laughs> I never thought I would doubt you when I started to teach about you. It also filled me with shame. It's hard for me to even tell you about it, actually. And so I would cry out to God in the midst of my doubt in God and say to him, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And God listened to me. He didn't leave me in my doubt. Um, actually, the truth is he actually used my doubt to move me to deeper faith in him. Because what I realized is he's big enough, big enough for my doubt. And so he brought things into my life that I needed. He knew what I needed to believe and strengthen my faith. Teaching here at Granville Chapel or 
Um, other teaching that I heard in podcasts, one particularly wonderful teaching by Carolyn Ahrens, actually, on doubt. And, and some of that I'm going to use as I talk about it this morning. And so he moved me to deeper faith. And the truth is there are many things that can lead us to doubt God or doubt his existence. But one of the biggest is what Thomas experienced, and that is crushing disappointment. When we pray, God doesn't come through for us. He doesn't give us a wife or a husband. He doesn't give us a job. He allows our loved ones to die. Or he allows them to get sick. When we're longing for something or something terrible comes into our lives, it can be so devastating, so hard to understand, that we begin to doubt. And we can doubt, you know, we can doubt many things. We can doubt in the existence of God, yes, but we can also doubt in his love, doubt his power to help us, doubt that he wants to help us. It doesn't have to be complete doubt in the existence of God. We can just begin to doubt things about God. And there's actually um, two kinds of doubt. There's um, dishonest doubt, actually. Dishonest doubt is where it's just too hard and we don't really want to believe. But there's also honest doubt, where we genuinely want to believe it. There's just gaps. There's gaps in what we experience and gaps in what we believe about God, gaps in what we've been told and what is true in our lives. So um, what we expect from God versus reality. We thought he would do this, but he didn't. Or here's the other one, gaps in our understanding of God. Because we're so limited, aren't we? We don't understand everything about God. And so we can have a hard time understanding what he's actually doing. And so doubt bubbles up in the gaps. Depending, though, on what we do with that, it can either devastate our faith or it can grow our faith. And so we have some unhealthy responses to doubt. Oh, sorry. Some unhealthy responses to doubt. And I think we're, it's very tempting to do this when those doubts bubble up. First of all, we can hide from our doubt. That is a really unhealthy response because if we try to shove it under the carpet, put the carpet on top and just stand on it and pretend it's not there, um, it starts to rot and stink and destroys the carpet. It start, starts to rot and destroy our faith. If we keep it in the dark where Satan wants it, it doesn't go away. It just grows and festers. So we can't hide from it. Also, another unhealthy way of dealing with it is to hide from God <laughs> or make him smaller. So we think, well, you know, I'm not sure if God's powerful enough for that prayer, so I'll only ask him for the things I know he can do. Or hide from God by just not talking to him anymore because he's so silent. So I'll just get on with my life. I'll come to church for the rest of the time. You know, it's not going to be that much a part of my life. And then your faith just kind of fades and withers, right? Um, withers away. And we can also hide from the world. This is another one that we sometimes do. Insulate ourselves perhaps in a, in a bubble of Christianity because, you know, we don't really want to look at what the science says or what the culture says because it might somehow, you know, my faith is so fragile. I can't really go there with that. 
Um, but God is, that's kind of dishonest because God, God is in everything. He's in the, he's big enough for science and big enough for the culture. And so we can damage our faith by doing that. And then I think the worst one altogether, the most devastating one, is to walk completely away from him. To just decide none of it's true and walk away. So those are not healthy responses. They leave us trapped in darkness, in despair. Um, so, in order to honestly deal with our faith, we need to do what Thomas did. We can learn from him in these verses, actually. First of all, bring it into the light. Admit it, just like Thomas did to your brothers and sisters in Christ. To yourself, admit it to yourself. God already knows. <laughs> So just bring it into the light. You know, it's amazing how um, liberating it is when you take something that's been hidden in the darkness and bring it into the light, it loses its power over you. So just as Thomas said, I won't believe unless, tell your brothers and sisters you're struggling so they can pray for you. And so you can understand what's going on in your life and so it loses its power over you. And bring it to God. So important. What did, what did Thomas say? Unless I see Jesus' hands and feet, unless I see him. So bring it to God. Tell him what you need. He already knows. But tell him. So, um, you know, and that, that again, it might sound really counterintuitive if you're struggling to believe in God, to talk to God about this, but whether we believe in him or not, he's still really real. He's still very powerful. He's still all-powerful, actually, and he's, he is listening. As silent as you might be experiencing him, he's not ignoring you. He's listening. And so tell him. And he, here's the other thing. He wants to help you. He does. He doesn't want to leave you hanging on the vine in your doubt. He wants to help you, and he's big enough for any doubt. Don't worry. He's big enough, bring them to him. So tell him honestly, your struggles, your questions, ask him to give you what you need, and he will. Just as he did for Thomas, just as he did for me, just keep praying, keep persisting. You know, it might take some time. It took Thomas a week, right? A week of, imagine that week for Thomas, where everybody else was rejoicing because Jesus had risen from the dead and he just cannot believe it. He's, it must have been so hard for him for that week. It is hard when we're struggling and it's devastatingly hard. But just keep coming, and it may take longer than a week, but keep praying. And so we also see that we need to look at the evidence, just like, just like Thomas, right? He wanted to see the hands and the feet, and so Jesus gave him the evidence. Do you know, there's so much evidence, so much evidence that God is real in his word, in the Bible, this is eyewitness accounts of what happened in the world. Just look at the world, the beauty of the world. To be honest with you, it actually takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God. There's so much out there that testifies to the reality of God. And so, we, again, we don't need to check our brains at the door. Look at the evidence. And this one is really, really important. The last one, stay in community. Do you notice what Thomas did and didn't do? He didn't run away from the other disciples, did he? <laughs> he was having a hard time, even though they were all rejoicing and he was not knowing. He still stayed with them and he met the Lord Jesus in community. 
And so for you, if you're struggling, don't stop coming to church. Don't stop going to Bible study. Don't stop. Keep coming so that your brothers and sisters can pray for you. Keep coming and you will meet Jesus personally in community. I met Jesus here personally in community 28 years ago in this very place. And so often you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, have helped me in my struggles. We cannot run from each other, we need each other. And so stay together, keep coming. Faith only grows weaker in isolation, and it grows and it grows when we're together, doesn't it? <clears throat> so don't run from your doubt. Bring it, trust God in the darkness until he gives you the light, and he will. He is so faithful and trustworthy. The truth is we cannot stay in our doubt. You know, I've heard doubt described as one foot poised to stay, take a step forward or take a step back. While we're in doubt, we're immobile. We can't move, we're stuck. And so what we see second in these verses is that Jesus invites us to step into belief and fullness of resurrection life. That's the second thing in these verses, isn't it? He says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. So that's what Jesus says to us, whether we are doubting our faith or whether we don't fully understand everything about what Jesus has for us. He says, come, believe fully and have resurrection life. Believe, choose to believe. There is so much evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. The empty tomb, despite the stone and the guards, the inability of anyone to get the body there. I mean, that would have been the simplest thing, right? Just show the body, nobody could do it. The, the eyewitness accounts that saw him alive again, the women, the disciples, do you know he even, he even appeared to 500 believers at the same time in the same room? 500. <laughs> How about the change in the disciples? This is the one that most impacts my faith. They went from people cowering in a locked room to powerful, passionate believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, even willing to die for what they believed in. People won't die for a lie, will they? And so the, great, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the great good news that he rose from the dead. It would not be good news if he didn't rise again. Thousands of people were crucified by the Romans. Only one rose again, and that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus invites us to believe this because when he rose again, he rose in victory over everything in our lives. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over guilt, victory over everything. When he rose again, he, took, he declared that we are set free when we believe in him. Our sin is gone, cleansed completely. Any sin, even ones you haven't committed yet. And he broke the chains he broke the chains of sin in our lives. Yes, we keep sinning, but we don't want to sin. We don't love our sin the way we did. In fact, our sin hurts us when we do it. And Jesus, so he's, what Jesus does in his resurrection is tell us, believe this. And when we believe this, he gives us victory over our sin and he gives us peace. 
He says to his disciples, peace be with you. He gives us peace with himself, peace with each other, peace in ourselves. How much of our lack of peace comes from the struggles we have over the things we do wrong, the way we wish we didn't do things. When Jesus died on the cross, he took it all away. All of it, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our despair. And he invites us into full resurrection life. He invites us to, you know, as Paul talked about this morning, he invites us to that newness of life like the trees showing the beautiful, the beautiful blossoms after the darkness of winter. That's what Jesus is inviting us into, to come out of the darkness of not knowing, the darkness of doubt, the darkness of our sin, the darkness of our struggle, into belief and resurrection life and freedom and wholeness. And, and he comes to live inside of us by his Holy Spirit to give us that, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. The moment we believe, he comes to live inside of us to give us everything we need. His power is available to you any time. And so Jesus is with you always. He is our comforter in our pain. He is our strengthener in our weakness, in our temptation. He is our teacher in our need for wisdom. He is our source of joy no matter what comes in this life. Because yes, this life will continue to be hard. We will continue to struggle. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will be with you to the very end of the ages. And so he invites us into that life to believe this. And so when we do believe that, we are, doesn't Jesus say we are the most blessed? We are blessed. We're blessed now because we have this life of freedom, of this flourishing, this is what Jesus invites us to, flourishing. He says, I came to give you life, life to the full, not some, some little life where you barely can get along and, and you, you, you're just kind of hanging on wisps of faith, fullness of life, fullness of faith in me. Believe me, I am with you always and I will give you what you need. And so we are the most blessed. And so my question for you this morning is, do, do you believe this? Do you? Or are you immobilized by doubt? Today, if you have never believed this, will you listen to what Jesus says? Stop doubting and believe. Look to him. Believe in him. Put your faith in him. He died on the cross for you. If you were the only person that had ever existed, he would have done it, and he did do it for you. Your sin, he died on that cross in your place, took your punishment, and when he rose again, he set you free. Put your faith in him now. Move from your immobile fear into fullness of life in him. He will come to live inside of you and you will never walk a moment alone in this life again or for all eternity. Yeah. And if you're still doubting, look at the evidence. Keep coming to church. Keep asking him. 
And if you do believe, are you living? Are you living in this joy and peace that Jesus paid so much to give you? If not, tell him, tell Jesus what it is you need. If it's doubt or disappointment that's holding you back or small faith or lack of truly understanding what Jesus has given you, tell him what you need and believe it. He will give it to you and believe it and move into this fullness of flourishing life. We don't need to live as if we're orphans, as if we don't have anything. We have everything. We are children of the King. Jesus died for us, we belong to him, and you know he's coming back for us. And when he comes back, everything that we have struggled with, every doubt, every worry, every concern, it will disappear. And we will say to him, just like Thomas did, my Lord and my God. And we will have all of eternity to spend with him. And no eye has seen and no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has for those who love him. So, believe him, walk out in faith in him, and yes, blessed are those who have not seen, but yet believed. Let's pray.